Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Armor Report, guys. It's a Friday. I've been uh, off the desk, just ran back to sit down and chat with you guys for the next half hour. This is the weekend review of the Armor Report. I'm your host, Brett Rosenthal, show about stock market investing for those of you who don't know already. Armor stands for Algorithmic Risk Management Research, and we're going to focus on risk management right now. Um, Our topics today, we're going to go over the seven Algorithms we use to manage risk across our portfolio for the top seven indexes um, that we feel drive all direction of the market. Then we're going to talk about how we're managing our risk, what hedges we're using, things like treasuries and gold and silver and those types of mining companies. And we're going to round it out with a couple issues that we've got in the portfolio that um, we want to discuss and just kind of say, what do we do from here? We're going to talk about innovative properties, IIPR. We're going to talk about um, uh, IBM, big announcement last night that we've been looking for. Uh, And I'll share with you what my final stop is for the cannabis stocks, particularly MJ. Okay, so let's get to it. Um, Please remember, this is a live trading desk. The phones might ring. I might have to execute a trade. I'm in trades right now as we speak. And it's a pretty uh, hectic day, so bear with me. Um, Don't forget, I'm not telling you what to buy. I don't know you. I couldn't possibly recommend that. Um, But I'm just sharing with you information that I use every day to manage my own capital and that of high net worth investors that I I manage capital for. Um, I call this type of investing quantum mental investing. It means the combination of quantitative executions where we use sophisticated algorithms and AI to help us execute and help us deal with the fear-greed response that gets in the way for most of us, and we combine it with a fundamental foundation, and that's the information edge that I'm sharing with you. So without further ado, let's go into um, the risk management topic. It's of utmost importance. For those of you following this channel, You know, for the last two weeks, I've been telling you to raise stops. I've been sharing with you the concerns that we have on our trading desk. Number one, the markets were two and a half standard deviations above the 200-day moving average, rarefied air. There's many other uh, indicators I could have shared with you about how overbought the market is, but that's my favorite. When you get to too many standard deviations above that moving average, any little thing can cause a problem. Let's talk about, let's loosen this tie. I'm not going to go back out until a little bit later today. All right. The risk monitor that we have for Armor Insiders. Those of you who don't know what that means, please check out our website, armorreport.com, A-R-M-R report.com. For insiders, we have risk monitor. That risk monitor tells us what the seven algorithms are suggesting about risk, whether we're adding a lot of risk, 
whether we're staying neutral or whether we're reducing risk and in some extreme cases going short. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, the first index of that seven to fail is a small cap index. That failure happened on the 24th. Let's go take a quick peek. Okay, what you're looking at right now is the S&P, excuse me, the small cap index on a daily chart. Okay? What you should be able to see right there is that the, that the market failed. Small caps failed right at that top red line, which is the resistance area, which is right on the two and a half standard deviations above the 200-day moving average. The 24th is right here. On this day, everybody who's an Armour Insider knows we were out of this position in our index-only portfolios, and I've been using this asset to short and hedge my portfolio personally ever since. Oh, I forgot, guys. If you enjoy this, don't forget to give me a thumbs up, subscribe if you haven't already. Let's take those things off the picture. Okay. Now, um, what do we do from here? We have that breakdown occurring, and let's just share this picture again, okay? This black line right here is the 200-day moving average. The black one's the exponential 200, and the thin black line below it is the linear 200. Somewhere in here is the next stop for the small cap index. If you look back over the last year or so, you can see that the index doesn't usually stop at the 200-day. It trades below it very often. Okay, so we don't know where we're going to head, but we know the first stop is the 200-day. So what I'm saying today, and Armor Insiders, please check the armorreport.com by the end of today. There will be a number of changes to our Armor portfolios and to the risk monitor, perhaps. Okay, before we really go to a red light, we break it into something simple on that risk monitor, right? Green, yellow, red. We're on yellow. We've been on yellow for a while. One index getting stopped out of its uptrend doesn't make us go to red. We raise all of our stops. We protect our capital. What gets us to go to red is when more of the indexes fall off. So right now, of the seven, small caps and the Dow are in cash for our index-only portfolio, and it tells us to raise stops and be careful. We said last week, no new positions. We may be changing that by the end of today. So if you're an Armour Insider, please log in at the end of today to see how we're um, uh, changing our stance. In fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. For you insiders, I'm going to update it before the close in case it has an impact on how you want to manage your own risk. I'll update it before the close, probably around somewhere between 3 and 3.30. I'll tell you what, I'll update it at 3.30. So you can see you have a half an hour in case you want to make any adjustments. Okay. A um, couple of comments fundamentally of why risk is elevated, right? So quantitatively, for the last couple of weeks, there have been issues. Then the breakdown's occurring. So what have we done to our portfolio? Raise stops, protect capital, add treasuries, add gold. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk fundamentally. Two problems with the market. So when you're this overpriced, any problem, somebody sneezes at the Fed and the market can go back down. And they sneezed. 
Chairman Powell this week. Listen to the whole thing. I'm going to share with you the one comment that mattered to me as an investor. Liquidity is key. Forget about what you remember or know what you were taught in school about why stock markets go up and down and how they're tied to the economy and earnings. Sorry. Okay, sorry. You spent a lot of money and time learning that stuff, and it means a big goose egg in the world we live in today. Pre-2008, it meant something. After 2008, the markets go up and down when the Fed adds or subtracts liquidity. Okay? I love how I get some real um, strong bullish people you know, on Twitter, whatnot. Don't forget to follow me, at Brett Rosenthal. I try to update that as fast as I can. Um, and they love to get upset when I say this, right? They just, they just so believe in earnings and economies. But if you literally look at the market, it rips higher when the Fed's adding liquidity, and it pauses and sells off aggressively when the Fed's reducing liquidity. And on that Fed uh, a call today, a couple days ago, there's only one thing that I cared about. All the other mumbo-jumbo the Fed said. The Fed said, Chairman Powell said, we are adding liquidity to get to $1.5 trillion in the, in the, uh, in the um, short-term lending markets to stabilize everything. It's a one-time adjustment. Those words killed the market. It's not the virus. We could talk about the virus in a minute. I'm going to share with you a thought about that. But I'm telling you, the reason the market's really selling off is because the Fed said this is a one-time adjustment. And the market's been skyrocketing, hoping that this is an open-ended QE program. Okay? And the Fed keeps saying it's not quantitative easing. We're fixing the repo market. We're getting to a certain level of liquidity. Once we get there, we're done. We think there'll be enough liquidity in the system to handle whatever's going on in the repo market that the Fed can't explain. I humbly submit to you that's the problem. Now, if the Fed keeps adding liquidity after April, they said they're going to be done by April. If they keep adding liquidity after April because of other exogenous events, then the market will keep going up. But if the market really believes that it's a one-time adjustment and then the Fed's done, then the stock market rallies over, particularly when it's trading two and a half standard deviations above the 200-day moving average. So it doesn't mean I won't get long again this year. It doesn't mean I won't go short this year, other than day trading short. But it does mean that I'm not touching stocks until they come back down to key moving averages. This is a classic mean reversion trade, guys. So am I a bear? No. Is the bull market over? No, we have to follow the Fed and make sure they keep adding liquidity. But if it's a one-time event and they're done, well, it wouldn't be a surprise to see the market trade all the way back down towards its lows before the Fed starts another liquidity program because they discovered there's not enough liquidity out there. That's how this market trades. Let's move on. The virus. CNBC at all would have you believe that the virus is why the market's going down. That's completely fictitious. Okay. If the market was already down and the virus broke out, the market wouldn't do anything. It's that the market's trading at ridiculous levels, wildly overbought. So anybody sneezing that happens to have a virus 
is a reason to sell and just bring the market back to the mean. But don't start getting carried away with the hysteria on TV. Just look back at other epidemics, short-term in nature. If it is short-term in nature, okay, you could say to me, we don't know what this is going to be. You know, this could be a Stephen King novel in the making. Oh, okay, it could be. God forbid. I hope it isn't. Okay, but if it follows the path of other issues, other viruses, this is a short-term event. You want to put to the top of your whiteboard. I'm not buying anything now, but I'm putting it at the top of my whiteboard. Stocks that get whacked because of news headlines that the virus is hurting their business. That will be a short-term event, depending on the company. Example, I'm a big fan of Disney, right? Stocks getting whacked down to the 200-day moving average because they're closing Shanghai, Disney, and all these issues that are going to hit earnings. That will be, if it's, again, if this is a normal virus progression that is slowly comes to conclusion, okay? I don't, I'm not predicting what's going to happen. I'm not a doctor. But sitting as I am today, that type of weakness in Disney, people have to reduce their expectations of earnings next quarter or something. It won't matter to the market after a few weeks. The virus calms down. Everyone realizes it's not crazy, and you'll get an entry point in a name like that because it's not a real game-changing problem for them. That's just an example. I'm not telling you what stocks to buy, guys. I don't know you. I don't know your risk tolerance, right? Do I have to keep saying that? Apparently, I do. Okay. Um, the only, you know, so why is the market getting whacked today? And do I think it will recover before the close like it has every other day? I really don't think it will. Because I think when you're in the midst of this virus scare, nobody really wants to hold risk assets, uh, you know, to an aggressive extent into the weekend. So what you do is you get a week Friday close. And then if, if you know, there's no horrific, you know, or continued horrific news um, over the weekend, then the market will gap up on Monday. So it's kind of tricky, right? If the news over the weekend is horrific and, and it becomes some type of um, uh, a- epidemic that's a major problem for, for everybody, um, you know, then the market could go lower. But typically on these types of events, you get sell-offs on Friday. People square up positions. They don't want to carry margin over the weekend. They're not exactly sure what the news will be. And if there is no news, then, you know, you get a, a pop on Monday. Um, all right. So I shared with you, uh, I just want to share one other chart with you. Okay. Take a look at, um, that's the small caps. Don't forget. Now let's take a look at, at the S and P. So here we are at the S and P two standard deviation, two and a half above the breakdown, the blue lines, the 50 day moving average, the black lines, the 200. Okay. So if we close somewhere around here, I want you guys to you know, be aware that's going to be a real problem for the uptrend that's been in force, you know, since early October. So our risk on algorithms, uh, for those of you who are Armor Insiders, you'll be checking this closely at 3.30 today um, to see, is this uptrend, we got long the index here, okay, and nice strong rally, and this may be the end of that rally, okay? So stay tuned. Okay, um, let's move on to how are we managing the risk. Now, um, I talk sometimes, those of you who follow me on Twitter, at Brett Rosenthal, you guys, you know, will see me talking about shorting small caps. I only do that really personally. I haven't done that for the armor portfolios. The armor portfolios 
will hold a lot of cash, which they do right now, to defend themselves against the decline. I'll hold shares of treasuries, TLT. I'll hold gold. These things go up and the market's going down. So I'm having an update today. But I won't really put small cap shorts into an armor portfolio until we have the Fed reducing liquidity and we're in a real downtrend. And then I might, if I see the Fed really reducing the liquidity, then I might get aggressive and and put a short out that I'll hold multiple days. Okay. Um, But personally, I'm in there, you know, uh, uh, hedging during the day. And I don't recommend that for most uh, uh, individuals. It's very hard to do. Um, uh, and, And so, um, enough said on that issue. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with just holding cash. Let's take a look at our treasury trade. Okay. I told you guys about treasuries. Armor Insiders, you're aware we were buying uh, this chart, TLT, right here. Okay. We paid around a little less than 140, 139 and change. We're at 145 and a half. So for Armor Insiders, if you're checking out what we're doing, you can see in the Armor portfolios the date we bought this asset, right, and the price. Um, let me mention something real quick, okay? What I, what I don't uh, share with you on that portfolio is position size because it's not really fair. I don't, I don't really know each and every one of you, you know, and your allocation and your holdings and all these types of things. So it's hard for me to tell you what position size to do. If you want that type of granularity, please call me, okay? Armor Insiders, you have the right as an insider to talk to me anytime you want and get one-on-one information. So I'm here for you if you want to talk position size. Personally, my TLT position, okay, is four times larger than any other position in, uh, in an individual stock. So whatever a stock position would be in my personal portfolio and, and what I would do in my armor portfolios for capital that I manage, for, for instance, it would be four times bigger, all right? It's the long treasury bond, right? It's 20-plus year treasuries. This is not normal stock market. This is the bond play. It's a 2.5% yield. My idea here is to own that asset below 140, and if it gets to the, and let's take a look here, again, this asset can get all the way to two and a half standard deviations, even three, actually. It gets to three standard deviations above its 200-day. When we get up there, I'm going to enhance my yield. I'm going to enhance my yield on this position. So I've taken a big position to hedge my risk. It's working beautifully. Market's down big. This thing's up another two-thirds of a percent. So the extra big position, if you think about it, covers maybe three or four positions in my portfolio. I'm not selling all my stocks in my portfolio, guys. I got a portfolio of dividend payers that have not hit their stops. An Armor Insider asked me, are my stops looser on a dividend payer? And in many cases, it is. Not every dividend payer, mind you. Right? So like on Schlumberger or or Occidental, which are attached to commodities, and the commodity is very volatile, my stop is the regular stop for any asset. When it comes to AT&T and Verizon, you know, or utility, those type of names, I'm going to have a, a wider stop. I'm going to allow for more, a little more risk there because generally it, it pays off long term for me. 
Okay. So um, going back to that chart, what are we going to do from here? If you've missed this entry, I'm not paying up for it, guys. Okay. Um, you know, when you see me as an insider, when you see a new position go up on the charts, up on the board as an armor portfolio addition, okay, when you see that happen, if you miss the entry, let's say you haven't checked for a couple of days and then you see an entry, you go look at the chart, you see how extended it is away from the buy point. If you still want to own it, you have to reduce your position size because the risk is bigger because the stop is still the stop of the original day we bought it. Remember that? That's our first stop, the low of the day we bought it. So if we're buying under 140 and you're buying at 142 and the low of the day we put it on the armor portfolio is let's say 139, you can't stop yourself out just because it goes to 140. You see what I'm saying? Your risk is bigger. 139 is still your stop. So the only way to do that is one, don't do it. Okay. The buy day is the buy day. You miss it. You have to wait for weakness. If you do want to step for it, smaller position size so you can handle the risk that you're taking, the added risk you're taking. Um, let's go over now to, um, to gold. Okay. This is very important. Gold is on its way. You're looking at GLD there. Notice how those charts are almost identical, GLD and TLT. Treasuries and gold are going in the same direction. We made a new high this week on gold. Let's see if we can get here. TDX, okay? We have a new high on gold, but not a new high on GDX. It's just trying to make its way. We'd like to see this thing break above 130, quite frankly. It's just not there yet. Okay. Not, what did I say, 130? I'd love to see it at 130. <laughs> I'd like to see it break above 30. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to see it go to 130. That'll be great. Um, I'll host an Armor Insider party on, you know, some type of, uh, you know, yacht that day. Okay. Um, in the meantime, Again, Armor Insiders, I'm going to be adding – in fact, I'm, I'm doing it right now for capital that I'm managing. I did it this morning. So by the end of today, let's say 3.30, you will see a new addition to the portfolios that's in the precious metals mining space. And it fits classically into an Armor playbook Rule number one category, extreme game changer. What's that rule? We look for a massive breakout of a huge base. If we don't get that first run, we leave it alone, let it run. When it makes a double bottom at the 200-day, that's where our entry point is. The reward to risk is perfect. We know what our stop is. The reward could be enormous if that initial run continues. Those of you who know Elliott Wave, the first move up is nice. That's wave one. Wave two is the pullback. Wave three is the big move. That's our extreme game changer rule. We're adding that to our portfolios right now. And I'll let you know the armor portfolios by 3.30 today. I'll update it. And you'll see what stock this is. It's in the precious metal space. All right, just rounding out um, quick thoughts. 
Let's go to MJ, okay, for those of you who are cannabis lovers like me, in every sense of that word, of that phrase. Okay, so the, bottle, the double bottom's in, enjoy the ride, I said. The target was the 200-day. We can't quite get there because the market keeps selling off. All right, that's one, that's one issue. The other issue is these companies keep uh, uh, doing secondaries, which is, uh, you know, a dilutive uh, uh, problem for us. So I just wanted to let you know what the final stop is. Armor, again, Armor Insiders know we do not own MJ right now in the Armor portfolios. We got stopped out across the board um, a couple days ago, okay? But the ultimate stop, for those of you who are still hanging on and I might have, you know, a position or two here or there, it's really this day right here to me, okay? It's January 13th. If it takes out that low, which is 1622, somewhere around there, you know, it has to be the point at which you, you throw your hands up and say, I need to protect capital. And I can always come back into this asset on another day. For those of you who are concerned about tax issues, such as wash sales, please go watch my last video. I address my opinions on what taxes mean when it comes to investing. All right. Um, Let's move on real quick. IIPR, having a pullback today, this has been a huge winner for us. So those of you who are asking me, what do I do now if I missed it? Guys, don't ever chase stocks. Don't do it. It doesn't work. It's just frustrating. The stock will pull back. You'll get an opportunity. It's down 4% today. Ideally, you'd want to buy this thing as close to the 200-day moving average as you can. This is the black line right here. This light, oops, I'm talking to myself. There you go. Okay, this black line right here, this light black line is the um, a linear 200-day moving average. This dark black line is the exponential. So I'm looking for the exponential. If you get a pullback in here in the uptrend, that's where if you missed it, that's where you'd want to add to it. But you don't want to chase it in here. Okay. And don't forget, I did, for those of you who are Armor Insiders, if you've missed it, I'm, I don't think you have, but if you have... Go look. We did an exclusive video for you on January 1st about why this was the number one cannabis stock to start 2020. And Lord knows it has been, right? We're up over 20% on the position. We've collected a dividend. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but it's going to be a hard-fought road like any other cannabis stock. So just because it's had a nice big run doesn't mean it's not going to come in. And I'm not trading it, right? I'm collecting the dividend yield. I think this is going to be a strong position for us for a while. But I got stops in there, right? So you kind of have stops. All right. And let's just round it out with um, chart of IBM. Again, Armor Insiders, I did an exclusive eyes-only video for you about IBM's earnings the day of before they announced. They announced what I was hoping for, stock gapped up on the news. For all of you who aren't insiders, I released that video the next day so you could see what I was talking about. Go check it out. The fundamentals are turning in the business. Last night, they announced a new chief executive. I've been waiting for that announcement, as has most of Wall Street. That's why the stock is running, right? There it is. Stock's gapping up on a day where the market's getting wrecked. All right, it's 4.5% dividend yield. 
But here's what I here's what I love. I'm going to share with you a chart of Microsoft. I tweeted this out the other day. This is the last thing I want to say, and then we'll wrap it up. I tweeted out. I want to show you a weekly chart of uh, Microsoft. Okay. Scrunch it all the way up. Okay. Somewhere right in here. I don't know the exact date. You guys could probably tell me if I'm wrong. But somewhere right in here during this breakout area, let's say August 2013, you know, somewhere in here, Satyam Nadella, if I got that name right, became the new chief executive of Microsoft. Thanks for that. Okay. She's the new chief. He became the new chief executive of Microsoft. The stock was trading somewhere around $40 a share. The stock's 170 and changed since then. He was the head of the cloud computing division of, IB, of, of Microsoft. Okay? He took over, focused the company on cloud computing. History, the stock's been unreal. And it had a 4% dividend yield back there at 40 at the time. Now, it's unbelievably um, similar. I, I, it's like bizarre. It's bizarrely similar right now for the IBM story to me. Here's the chart on a weekly basis. So the stock hasn't even moved yet, right? You wouldn't get a real breakout of IBM until, uh, what, somewhere, somewhere above here, right? Something like that. Hasn't even done that yet. Okay. But what's amazing is this. The stories, the stories are so unbelievably similar. It's it's hard, it's really it's it's bizarre. So a man of I think of Indian descent, Satyam Nadella, took over Microsoft because he was the cloud computing guru that was driving their business, turned their business completely around. Right. The rest is history. The stock's gone through the roof and continues to deliver. Now you've got IBM. Jeannie Rometty steps down. They put in chief executive. I think he's of Indian descent. It's so bizarre. But more importantly, he's the head of their cloud computing division. He's the guy that put together the Red Hat deal. This is the new direction of this company. Gartner says that the hybrid cloud is a trillion-dollar business opportunity. If IBM really is at the forefront of that, and they dominate that business in the next five years, like Microsoft has dominated cloud, you know, the public cloud, sky's the limit on this stock. And I've got a 4.5% dividend yield right here. I'm not telling you to buy the stock. I don't know you. Okay, I'm just sharing what I'm doing with my own capital. I like to find situations where I can see, see unfolding exactly what happened into another very successful position. It's just so similar. Now, it's really hard to understand how to deal with this issue today. The markets don't look good, right? The markets are selling off. I don't know if I'd run out there and double my position right now. I already have a position in it. We all know that. Didn't change it, even though it was breaking down, because I had a bigger stop on that. Now we get another piece of the puzzle that comes into play. New chief executive, the guy who was instrumental in the Red Hat deal, and the gentleman who leads the cloud division. 
Enough said. All right? Put it on your whiteboard. Do your own homework. Find your own entry point. Listen, guys. I appreciate you being here, spending time with me. If you've liked it, please like it. Don't forget to comment in the comment section. Ask me questions. I love talking to you guys. All right? Subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. And always, don't ever forget, rule number 76. No excuses. Play like a champion. I'll see you next week, guys. Day that goes my way. One day.
Well, I think, well, I think the Democrats should have taken longer in the House. I think they pushed it back because of the electoral calendar, wanted to wrap this up. They yeah. didn't wrap it up. And so that's why does she hang on? Yeah. Well, let's hear from her. Uh, the president's team is there to dismantle the Constitution of the United States. And some of them are even lawyers. I don't know how they can maintain their, their, their status in the comments that they are making. But I don't think they made the case. I think they disgraced themselves terribly in terms of their violation of what our Constitution is about and what a president's behavior should be. Kristen, I mean, when they go to such hyperbole all the time, you know, they should be disbarred. Um, yesterday, I think it was Chuck Schumer saying, or maybe it was out of here, the fate of our republic hangs in the balance of what happens here. I mean, when you when you when the sky is falling so often, people just start kind of tuning out. Recall during the House portion of this whole process how it seemed like every week there were new bombshell revelations, new bombshell testimony that never wound up moving the polls at all. And I do think there has become a little bit of a boy who cried wolf sort of phenomenon where if everything is a big deal, then nothing is a big deal. You also have the fact that only about 15% of Americans think that Senate Democrats have gone into this process with an open mind. They think they knew what they were going to do from the beginning. And they feel the same way about Senate Republicans. And probably only 15% or so think that Senate Republicans were going in with an open mind either. If you know how the movie ends, already, then there's kind of less of an incentive to want to watch the movie, isn't there? I mean, I don't know, Jeannie, or Ariella too. I mean, maybe the incentive for Democrats was fundamental thing that's wrong about that is impeachment is Congress's bravest, most serious weapon. You don't unsheath it unless it's bipartisan. Who do you think would have she acceded to the liberal pressure instead of bipartisan opinion? Who do you think it would have hurt more to have witnesses? Because to me, I almost wanted to see it just to pop the popcorn. It was such a wild card. Well, not over yet. Well, right. You're right. Um, but if you start going after the Bidens, anything could happen. You bring John Bolton out, anything could happen. Frankly, having watched the Benghazi hearings, have well, that may do that. Furious. I think every time somebody says, we've got a blockbuster, we're going to get that witness, there's going to be a smoking gun, it always turns into a dud. That's true. It's, it's always a water gun. It's new. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Houston, if you want to go after the Bidens, there's a campaign coming up. If you want yeah. to go after Trump, there's a campaign coming Lisa up. Lisa Murkowski, how it should work. real quickly, if she says yes or no, what difference does it make? It doesn't because it would be a 50-50 vote if she says yes, and 50-50 doesn't get your witnesses. Unless Justice Roberts intervenes, and we don't think that's going to happen, but that's the only I just want well, to say. might have before Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren kicked him off yesterday. <laughs> oh, there, that's something else. We're going to talk about that later. With the president's acquittal looking um, a little bit more assured by the hour, Democrats facing big questions about how they handled the case, the big misfires that likely turned off the GOP members of the jury. My body is truly powerful. I have the power to lower my blood sugar and A1C. Because I can still make my own insulin. Trulicity activates my body to release it, like it's supposed to. Trulicity is for people with type 2 diabetes. It's not insulin. I take it once a week. It starts acting in my body from the first dose. Trulicity isn't for people with type 1 diabetes or diabetic ketoacidosis. And Trulicity, if you're allergic to it, you or your family have medullary thyroid cancer or have multiple endocrine neoplasia syndrome type 2. Stop Trulicity and call your doctor right away if you have an allergic reaction, a lump or swelling in your neck, or severe stomach pain. Serious side effects may include pancreatitis. Taking Trulicity with a sulfonylurea or insulin increases low blood sugar risk. Side effects include nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, belly pain, and decreased appetite, which lead to dehydration and may worsen kidney problems. I have it within me to lower my A1C. Ask your doctor about Trulicity. We make USAA insurance for veterans.
questions about how the Democrats handled that trial. Just yesterday, Senator Elizabeth Warren came under fire after she forced Chief Justice John Roberts to read aloud a question about his own legitimacy. Watch. At a time when large majorities of Americans have lost faith in government, does the fact that the Chief Justice is presiding over an impeachment trial in which Republican senators have thus far refused to allow witnesses or evidence contribute to the loss of legitimacy of the Chief Justice, the Supreme Court, and the Constitution? Well, that is hardly the only Democrat move that some say that they saw as a misfire. Warren's question came just days after House managers Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff angered Republicans with their remarks. Watch. Will you bring him back to the podium here? Will you permit us to present you with the entire record of the president's misconduct? Or will you instead choose to be complicit in the president's cover-up? Vote against the president and your head will be on a pike. I have to say, when I read that, and again, I don't know if that's true, but when I read that, I was struck by the irony. By the irony. I hope it's not true. That shift comment was in reference to a CBS News report led vulnerable Republican Lisa Murkowski to tell reporters, quote, that's when he lost me, end quote. Your thoughts, sorry. I'm no lawyer, but I understand that you don't anger your jury if you are one. And that's what it seems like they've done here. They, they've gone too far. It's your point about hyperbole yeah. and excess rhetoric. This should be a somber, serious thing. And when you constantly accuse your opponent of the worst motives and you then extend it to the, the Supreme Court justice, then I think you start hurting your cause. Especially when you need a couple of them to vote with you. You know, why are you sitting there insulting them when you're, you should be, you know, showing up with candy and flowers trying to court a couple of them? Maybe they know something behind the scenes in terms of vote counts that we don't know. No, I think they're too used to talking to liberal bubbles, and that's reinforced by the media they typically.